Welcome along to the Young Player Wellbeing Podcast. My name's Brad, and if you're hearing this intro, there's a good chance that I'll be hosting today. The rest of our team is made up by the usual suspects in Louis, Vicky and Tony. We're all alumni of the University of Stirling Psychology of Sport Masters Programme. We work on the Young Player Wellbeing Programme, which was developed by CareVisions alongside the University of Stirling. The programme aims to empower young athletes to have more control over their wellbeing. On this podcast, we share our knowledge and experiences of relevant wellbeing topics and how these have an impact both in and out of sport. We welcome you along to the podcast and hope you enjoy listening. Hi everyone, welcome back to another episode of the podcast. Today we have a special guest that I'm going to introduce shortly, but I don't want to forget about my special co-host, so he's here today. How are we, Tony? Yeah, not too bad. Thank you, Brad. Not too bad. Excited to uh, yeah, excited to have this guest on. It's been a couple of episodes now about guests, so I'm sure our listeners are, are, are dying for another episode, another special episode, should we say? 100%. And um, something special about this guest, I think it's the first trainee psych that we've had on here. Tony, am I right before I bring her in? Yeah, yeah, I think I think that is correct. And I think another thing which is amazing is, if I'm correct, it's the first female guest we've had on as well. Wow, that's just shocking um, from us, isn't it? So is tick- for, we've got yeah. two boxes ticked as we yeah. do in the world of the sport. So I'll bring our next guest in now, who was a performance psychology intern at West Ham last season and is currently the lead academy psychologist at Gillingham FC. What's your boys? How are we doing? Hi Brad, thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm glad I'm ticking some boxes for you, but um, <laughs> it's, a, um, it's a pleasure to be your first trainee and your first woman on the podcast. Um, I'm really excited to yeah discuss all things wellbeing today. Amazing. Uh, we've got some great backgrounds on Lucy already, so I know our listeners are going to be buzzing to hear from you, Lucy. So usually the way we start with our guests is we just want to know how you got into the world of sport originally and there's something a bit unique about your own sport I suppose as well. Yeah I guess I'm taking another unique sport box <laughs> as well um, but yeah I do canoeing um, which yeah my parents are both canoeists so ended up being basically born into a canoe. Um, started taking it a bit more competitively probably 10 or 11. Um, I got into what we call canoe polo which is like a weird subsection discipline of canoeing a bit like water polo but just just in boats instead um but yeah so carried on that obviously did all the traditional sports football netball basketball all those kind of things but um yeah never really mastered the whole use my legs thing so um stayed canoeing as um my sport and kind of went on to play at quite a good level um I went to play at represent the country internationally um at canoe polo which obviously very small world of people um but yeah such a privilege to kind of go on and compete at that kind of international level in canoeing um absolutely wonderful experience but um kind of hit retirement now um last year um as you said I went on to the CPA route which is a trainee um psychologist route um, and kind of had to put the sport on the back burner um, while I'm kind of going into my career. And obviously, as you know, it's it's a very full time um, job working in sport. So, yeah, that's my sport, really. And um, yeah, hope I've ticked another box there for you. 
Yeah, no, amazing. I think the place to start with that is you're going to explain canoe polo. I can sort of visualise it in my head, but, you know, how can you, like, paddle and have the ball? That's my first question. <laughs> um, it's kind of like, I would say, basketball. So you can dribble the ball into the water, um, then, like, take a paddle stroke and move forward. So, yeah, you can uh, try and imagine it. But, um, yeah, but our goals are, like, um, rather than in water polo where the goals are on the water, our goals are suspended in the air, basically. Um, and, yeah, so you have to throw the ball in the goal. It's only 5v5, so it's not, like, it's not a 10-player, 11-player sport. Um, okay. And it's only only about 20 minutes long, so we only have two halves of 10 minutes. Um, so as you can imagine, it's it's pretty intense. But um, for anybody that wants to see what it actually looks like, just type in Canoe Polo on YouTube and I'm sure you'll find some really good videos. Yeah, I think when we promote this, Tony, we might need to get some sort of clip of Canoe Polo <laughs> going on. I've seen Water Polo, yeah. but Canoe Polo, that's, that's definitely a new one for me. <laughs> yeah, Lucy, Lucy, have you got any highlights that we could perhaps share out there? Uh, yeah, so I competed for the under-21s team for a very long time, from when I was about 15, 16, um, up until, well, until we hit COVID, really. Um, and the last tournament I went to, the Europeans, um, we ended up coming second, um, got a silver medal at European stage, which was, yeah, absolutely brilliant with the most amazing team and coaching team. Um, yeah, truly amazing experience. But what makes it even better is the three years previous, we'd come fourth three times in a row. So to come second, obviously you could you could um, imagine the celebrations after we even won the semi-final. Um, yeah, it was just an amazing team to be part of. And I think that's kind of, obviously this probably one of your questions coming up, but like that kind of, background in sport and experiencing those things makes you want to go out and help other people kind of achieve those kind of highs and obviously lows of sport as well but yeah very very privileged to have had that experience really. Yeah well, I think um, you mentioned that uh, <laughs> you've hit the nail on the head that it was going to be the sort of next place that we're going to go so at first I, I want to know about you know what was it about competing in sport you mentioned that you want to help people you know have success but I mean why was it sort of sports science then that you went into as opposed to any other form of sport yeah so um sports science kind of was like I didn't really know what I wanted to do when I left when I left school so I went into sports science as my undergrad and it was only then that I started experiencing things in my sport so um, we talk about like flow state when you pay really, really well for no reason at all. Uh, we talk about clutch states, which is when it's really effortful, but you manage to like come back when you're losing that kind of thing. Um, and that kind of like team dynamics, like how how it's spread throughout a team as well. Um, I've experienced that all myself. So understanding like the theory behind it at university when we did the psych modules, I was just like, oh, wow, I actually understand now why things are happening. Um, and I think last year really hit the nail on the head for me. It was my um, first, second year in the senior side. Um, and I hit for a sport that has always been part of my life. I hit quite a stage of burnout where 
I was going to tournaments every weekend, training weekends, doing everything. But it ended up becoming actually really exhausting and I wasn't really in my best state mentally. And I think that kind of I didn't really realise, even though I was a sports psychologist MSc by then, um, I didn't really quite recognise it, even in myself, that I was going through a period of burnout. So I think now, like I look at players and I have players come to me regularly like, oh, I've hit this really low motivation uh, low energy I can't seem to no matter how much I sleep or eat or whatever I can't really get back and feel fueled again or feel my same energetic self I think I they come to me all the time and I'm like okay I know exactly what this is it's okay um, but having experienced it myself it just makes it so much more real and it makes you want to help people recognize what it is for starters help coaches recognize what it is and then also be able to actually help people yeah amazing and and just to pick up again on the the idea of burnout so you mentioned potential symptoms of that or maybe no sleep no energy not eating and just feeling completely low and were those the same symptoms that you were having when you went into your msc with your own sport um, yeah, I think hitting university as well, like stepping up to do a master's, there was like a lot of pressure. And then obviously that pressure to step up into like the senior side, um, which I didn't quite want to do because COVID hit and I missed my last year in that kind of under 21s category. Um, so I felt unfinished in that category as well as them moving up. All that pressure just got on top of me. And I think that's how players feel like there's this pressure to always be perfect, always be doing well in not only your sport, but like educationally, um, in other aspects of your life to be social as well as obviously do well in everything else. And those are the kind of symptoms that I started seeing that kind of I could just never re-energise myself. And I feel like a lot of players rely heavily on like feeling super motivated all the time, stuff like that. And actually, like my discipline got me through it, but actually I wasn't enjoying it at that stage. I really lacked enjoyment for the sport that had been my childhood and I'd grown up to really, really love and enjoy. So I think like recognising those symptoms retrospectively, probably if I had a sports psychologist that I was working with that spoke to me regularly, much like you guys do for your well-being updates, that kind of thing, um, having that self-awareness like just checking in on yourself which I just I didn't at the time um I think is really really important and probably something that I would push quite a lot with my players now is just having that kind of self-awareness and yeah just mentally checking in as much as you do physically yeah a lot to digest there Lucy um you know that transition obviously from the under 21 to the senior team seems to be the thing by the sounds of it that put the extra pressure on you on top of balancing, you know, uh, university, which we know isn't easy. And the lack of a sports psych there at that time has meant that you've had to deal with all that yourself. So I think that in itself is a great example of a time where an athlete may need to seek support from someone that perhaps isn't or professional support, I mean, i.e. a sports psych. And we talk to our players a lot about balancing school and balancing their training schedules because the load is very, very heavy. 
And as you mentioned, it's great to hear uh, about the importance of being self-aware, checking in on yourself, and and also, like you touched on, the well-being check-ins that we offer our players. Um, I don't know about you, Tony, but I think the main idea from my angle for these check-ins at the beginning of the programme, and still now when we have the more casual conversations, are we are there to help them enjoy their sport. So if they need to get any baggage or any sort of weight off of their shoulders, then we are the person that they can sort of go to to talk about that. And I hope that we have created that safe space as well. Don't know if you had any more thoughts on that, Tony. Yeah, 100%. Actually, um, well, first of all, I completely agree with what you're saying there, Brad. Um, I like to think that just based off the few conversations I've had that have led on to perhaps players wanting a little bit more um, support or just someone to talk to. Um, I believe that we are successfully doing that in the programme, um, but to stop blowing our own trumpets a bit much, sort of going back to what Lucy had been saying, um, like everything you were speaking literally like relates to me so much. Um, the idea of sort of burnout, I had a similar, similar case, um, especially with trying to be a sports psychologist, um, when it came to my American football, I had to take a step back because I realised that I was also experiencing burnout. Um, and what was really interesting was that uh, it did it took me ages to clock it as well. You know, like I wasn't actually in, enjoying the sport anymore because I was actually just overworking myself. And realistically, just because of the time period that I was at in my life, like perhaps I realised that I didn't have as much time to travel because I was having to travel far for it, that maybe it was time to take a step back. But what was quite interesting was not only did I have to get that, you know, internal um sort of reflection and, and and take a step back and have a look but it was also when speaking to others about it they they get confused and I think that's why again it's so crucial that clubs or athletes have us psychologists or well-being coaches to go and talk to you because actually when I was speaking to people about it they're like what do you mean like do you not like American football and it's like no I, I love the sport I think it's brilliant but actually I'm just like tired out I'm just a bit exhausted you have to you find yourself having to really try and justify it to people and I think they they view it in like a negative light and like, oh no, like they're going to quit or like, oh, what if you never go back to it? And I was like, no, I, you know, in my head, I still think I probably will, but when I have a bit more time and um, yeah, so I think that's, you know, what I want to get across was that actually not only is it important that they can speak to us because we might be able to highlight the issue that they could be having um, in this example of, of burnout, but it's also, it means that we can also assist them in in speaking to others about it and actually, you know, backing up what they're saying, being like, no, guys, they've spoken to us. Actually, I completely agree. This is, you know, what they're going through. I'm not saying that every athlete needs to take a step back from their sport, but it's actually just highlighting it and making sure they can get that support that they need and, um, yeah, and the assistance and also get that that empathy, I think, as well, which everyone always appreciates when someone understands what you're going through. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to highlight that again. Yeah, I think um, for football players in general, obviously you get periods where you'll hit heavy game schedules, heavy training schedules, obviously pre-season's pretty heavy going, um, can be sometimes a big fear, um, stuff like that. But once you get into those kind of latter stages in, in the season, you're tired, you're physically and mentally exhausted. And I think a lot that I have to remind people is in using that off-season um a lot of people think okay 
they'll go off for a week and then within the next week they're back into training oh I'll do this extra session or run this fitness okay do stuff that's going to mentally recharge you if you like running or whatever in the off season but also think about like okay how am I going to recharge for these three weeks like how am I going to come back and kind of reignite that like love for the game again and that enjoyment because you can get to periods in the season where you just can't see the end and you fall out of love with the sport especially doing it from such a young age as well what we have people in the academy that are eight years old at West Ham we have pre-academy which are like six seven year olds if you're doing that much training and it's school then football school then football school then football there's never that kind of time to pause have a break but also by the time you get to 16, 17, 18, you're going to feel so out of love of your sport unless you take those breaks, unless you mentally recharge and unless you really have that self-awareness. Like, am I feeling my best? No. What can I do to help? And talking to you guys, talking to a sports psychologist is massively going to help deload your your bit of your stress bucket out. OK, um, I completely agree what you guys are saying. No, yeah. that's absolutely amazing, Alice. And Tony's banged on about the stress bucket, so that's why you've probably seen us both laughing there. So I'll let him go. That's his little, that's his little phrase that he likes to, his little <laughs> analogy he likes to go on, go on about. I wasn't even, I wasn't actually raising my hand for that. I was actually just gonna say, like, I actually, I wish just that little bit of, um, that almost that speech that you were just giving there. Um, I wish I could I could have clipped that up and sent that to my coaches when I was younger and I was training and, and for me it was tennis and just like because that's exactly what sort of drove my passion for sports psychology as well I mean there's loads of different things that go into why this is such an interest for me but you know that was one of the main ones is is that idea that people seem to think and it's that old fashion way of like you need to be working harder than everyone else and you need to be doing this and that and and yeah like I was playing competitively at that point at eight and I ended up burning out and falling completely out of love with the sport by 16 and it was because I I don't think I'd ever actually oh I don't think I ever actually had a rest of more than you know a, a couple of weeks on a, on a holiday I think that was probably the longest rest I'd have or had away from the sport so yeah you know and this is why again this podcast is so important because it's raising awareness to you know whether it's parents listening to it or coaches that listen to it or players listening to it that actually you know yes you do need to work hard but also you know you need to give yourself that rest and you need to lean on your support network whether that is um a sports psychologist or a well-being coach or uh play your player care um support or your parents or friends you know you know reach out and do make sure you are giving yourself that needed rest because yeah it's definitely something that's very worthwhile having yeah, and just to pick up on some of the things that you mentioned, Lucy, uh, we recently done a workshop at one of the clubs on sort of accountability going into the pre-season and off-season, I suppose. So it's mainly about how you can utilise your off-season. And we spoke a lot about exploring other identities in order to come back with a fresh perspective. And also when you're ready in that time off, using it to reflect on what you've achieved over that past season and that's going to allow you to have new motivations going into the next season because hopefully you've identified areas of the game that you want to improve on over the course of the next season so I hit the nail on the head and and that's just sounds like great advice for the players um you know look after yourself during that off season and then our idea was but 
now you need to be accountable for your own decisions going into this pre-season. As they go up the age groups, it becomes more difficult and more difficult to get to that next stage. And it's important that they are looking after themselves in the right way in terms of performance, but also as well-being as well and trying to avoid that burnout as much as possible. So amazing stuff from both you guys there. Um, I think that would be a good time, Lucy, to perhaps explain how you're so knowledgeable about looking after footballers because you're a canoe polo player. So how did you get into the world of football? Um, yeah, so uh, mum is big football fan. So um, yeah, being brought up uh, on Crystal Palace games, um, got dragged along to a few games, but always had like a like for football, watch football. Um, but I never, I never really thought I'd get into the football space. But it's becoming this growing space where I think they're one of the sports that maybe is lacking behind other sports. Sports like tennis, cricket, that kind of thing have had psychologists for a while. But actually, football is starting to prioritise their players, their mental health, as well as their physical health. Because I think they're starting to accept that kind of mental health is still health. Like, if you don't have mental health, good mental good health, or you aren't great well-being-wise or anything, you can't perform at your best. Those, like, links between your kind of psyche and and your performance are so big now that actually football is starting to buy you it and I think that's kind of where my love and interest is coming to it obviously played a team sport so football's kind of had that bit of a pull for me um in those kind of experiences I've had that I want others to achieve and experience so it being a team sport massively and also just like an upbringing on football um I think has really gravitated me in um but lastly it's that kind of that prioritization that football's starting to see don't think it's perfect yet but I think it's starting to get there and I think they're looking more at the person rather than just the football player because unfortunately you always see those statistics 1% of footballers make it in academies, that kind of thing. And realistically, we all need to grow as people through it if we're going to come out of the end of it and actually be successful. If you're not a footballer, are you going to be successful in other areas of your life? Um, And that's what I love about football. And I think it's kind of moving forward. But I like I love being part of the moving forward and developing into that space that we really want it to be. Yeah, I think the culture in football is definitely changing. I don't think a programme like the one we work on, Tony, would have perhaps existed 10 years ago. I don't think player care roles were popping up left, right and centre like they are now. And I certainly don't think psychology roles were as prominent. I think there is still a bit of space for clubs to be prioritising psychology support a little bit more. Uh, As we mentioned before the call started, Uh, You know when a psychologist job pops up that everyone you know on this accreditation route is going to be applying for it because there's not many roles around and especially in football everyone's so eager and keen to to break into that space and I don't know about you Tony but I've been buzzing to actually break into that space this season a little bit perhaps not within the clubs but getting to go to clubs and deliver and you know working with the boys closely and working closely with the coaches who are sort of well-respected at the clubs has, has been massive for 
you know, my confidence in the way that I work. And I think that's translated down to the players as well. If you have any thoughts on that as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I think, obviously, as usual, I agree with everything you've said there. And I think it has been nice that there's been such a positive reaction from the coaches in particular. I know we've had a couple of them on, on the podcast and they've always sort of backed up, maybe without realising they've backed up and support some of the stuff and some of the education we've been giving the players, which has been great. Um, and I do think it is that stage of, I think, now that people are understanding the value that sports psychology has or, you know, any kind of psychology has on not just players' performance, but their well-being and how their well-being and performance is all linked. I do think it is starting to take off now. And I think, as we discussed last week, it's just that one where it's, you know, it's a, it's the new industry coming in. So I think people are working out how best to fit it in um, and things like that. But, it, yeah. It's an exciting time. I think it can be a bit frustrating at times because you wish that everyone was on the same page, but it is that way. I think the more that people are getting educated around psychology, you know, that the better it's getting. And I think the important thing as well is making sure that it's positive interactions they have in regards to psychology. And I think, you know, so far the interactions I've had have been very positive. Um, so yeah, it's good to see it. Good to see it continue to grow. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think, let's say, that would be a good time to probably chat about what I was thinking there as Tony was speaking was the role of psychology hasn't found a complete home yet in terms of the role is different across each club, across each sport. Each psychologist that you speak to will be doing different things at each club. Of course, that's based on the demands of the team, the players and the coaches, but it is about psychology and well-being really trying to fit fit in you know where where does it fit in best and I think it would be a good time to talk about your role at West Ham because I know that that role is slightly different to your other role which we'll go on to to talk about so it'd be good to speak about your experience as the sort of performance psychology intern at West Ham last season which sounds amazing. Yeah so our role as you mentioned quite a lot of the work is through the coaches um, I think having that impact on coaches means that they spend hours and hours with the players. And if we can educate them um, around that kind of psychology, like why are they seeing certain behaviours? Why are they seeing certain things? Um, can have a huge impact on the wider group of players. You've got what, like 10, 20 players, uh, between 10 and 20 players in each group. And so to have one-on-ones with every single player is is just not possible. So I think most of my work at West Ham has been through the coaches um, kind of upgrading their knowledge there. But like you said, at West Ham, I kind of work with uh, the younger age group, so I worked um, from nine to sixteens. Um, my role at Gillingham is slightly different, but we'll go to talk on to that later. Um, but the priority really for us has been workshops, um, like you guys do, going in and delivering those workshops, educating them around all the kind of psychological skills that we want to, but really honing into, okay, what have the coaches seen? And, and they most of the time give the suggestions. So, um, I don't obviously I can't go into too specific detail but so with our younger set at West Ham we kind of looked a lot at emotional control over the season um it was something that nine to eleven age okay we're not going to see mastery at that point of emotional control but it's that kind of time where it's optimal to give those coping strategies and in such a pressurized situations that's when emotions come out and we're not saying they're bad thing 
but we're trying to kind of give them coping strategies, that kind of thing. Um, but that's been like our continued work. And most of the time it is through coach recommendation. Okay, what have you been seeing in your players um, and what can we help with? We do quite a lot of observation at West Ham. So um, we'll go every week and we'll watch one of the age groups at the weekends, see how they perform, whether it's away or home. Obviously, there's different pressures there as well. We'll look at the coaching styles. We'll look at individual players. If there's a player that we've been working with one to one, um, we'll have a look, assess, OK, have we been successful? Are they implemented the strategies we've talked about? Stuff like that. So we have quite a few different roles, um, but most of it is through through that kind of coaches. Um, and if we have to do one to ones, we, we try and avoid that with the younger players just because there will be stages where you'll be maybe low in confidence or maybe you're a bit anxious, that kind of things. And we'll teach them the coping skills and the strategies for that. Um, but most of the time, it isn't that kind of one-to-one specific needs um, by that point. And I always reiterate, like, if you're not enjoying it, nine to 16s, stop playing. Don't You don't need to be there. If you're not enjoying what you're doing, and like we talked about the burnout, like, you're going to get to the point where you don't want to be in the sport. So the mo- the thing that we stress so much with the younger ones is enjoyment why are you stressing okay I put loads of pressure on myself okay today I just want you to go out and enjoy yourself and do your best um and that's what we should be looking at like 9 16s obviously 15 16s it gets a bit more competitive it's a bit more technical a bit more tactical um as it progresses through physically demands are higher and that kind of last like scholarship decisions um but if you're not enjoying it at those ages and you can't cope at those ages it's going to be really really hard to go into that kind of adult career or go on to do your scholarship um and then go into that kind of pro pro life of being a footballer yeah again amazing stuff just to confirm the scholarships like when they get a pro contract is that right um 17 so 16 17 18 so um that's just like just after 16s um yeah. that's when they come in full time and will be in yeah. education um and i'm playing full time which is a nice life um, <laughs> but obviously a lot of pressure comes with it and a lot of pressure comes with being in an academy nine set 18s um there's so many famous examples now of kids coming all the way through academies now um which is great to see and that kind of priority of like homegrown players is really really good um but to get all the way through with all the pressure that's kind of put on people I think we need a bit more respect for players that get um to that kind of stages in the pro life people think that it's a really easy life you get paid thousands of pounds to play but actually the academy system like from what I've seen at West Ham we try and make it a nice environment and that enjoyment side and everything but at the end of the day it gets to a cutting point where it's release decisions or retain with decisions and those are the kind of points where the pressure gets higher but like I said if you're not enjoying it then it definitely isn't the career for you to go into because it is is a harsh career to go into but fully fully worth the um obviously the outcomes and being able to play. Tony, I've seen you scribbling, mate. Have you have you got some some knowledge? 
no knowledge myself to add, but obviously you touched upon some key topics that we always speak to our players about, um, sort of confidence and pressure. And of course, without going into specifics on certain players, just wondering if you have, you know, any, I don't want to say generics, obviously everyone's different, but, you know, main sort of coping skills or just suggestions that you and you usually give to players perhaps around being able to deal with pressure or um, tips on perhaps how they could boost their confidence? Yeah, I think we always start with, and what I always start with players is, okay, what does the most confident self look like? I think sometimes we're like, oh, I'm not 100%, I'm not playing my best. But actually, what does that look like when you play really well? And those words, I normally get them to list. So whether it is, I have really good body language, I'm talking loads on the pitch, I'm really energetic, um, I'm making those runs that I wouldn't normally and actually sometimes we can we we kind of can trick our brain into thinking that we're really confident if we just pretend so those words that you really want to focus on um, whether it is just I normally try and do three things that you can remember or even if it's one word that you want to go and embody on on the pitch I think it's imagining your most confident self and then going and acting like it, even if you're not feeling 100% confident, like how can you go, okay, I've gone really quiet because I'm feeling quite anxious. Okay, let me get my talking up. And then suddenly it kind of flows into itself and you start acting your most confident self, even if you're not feeling it. Um, with the younger players, the one I really like to do is obviously think about those words, what you want to be, but think about what animal embodies who you want to be on the pitch so it's a really nice one with the younger players in particular um okay I want to go and be a tiger on the pitch because I want to go and be fearless go into every tackle that kind of thing and I want my opponents to fear me so even just imagining okay I want to be this animal on the pitch honestly is like a massive help and it is just those little things before you go on okay let me go and be this let me go and be my best self I think is what I use with most of the players, um, especially with the younger players. You don't need anything complex. You don't don't need to sit there and rationalise your thoughts out and think, oh, is there evidence for this? For the younger ones, like just just go and act and be the words you want to be. Um, those kind of action words as you want to go out and be. Yeah, brilliant. Really, really interesting and like really insightful as well. So that was great. Thank you very much. For that um, I let Brad carry on before I start grilling you on like all of your psychology knowledge <laughs> yeah you take, just take them it's fine but <laughs> I think one of those ones that I hit on with the older players especially those that can be quite perfectionistic and feel like oh, I'm not playing my best I'm not playing my best like sometimes we can get really down about bad performances and we'll watch them back over and over again so it's really great we have analysts that come in They'll give you videos and all your clips and stuff. But we always just watch our bad videos most of the time or like coaches will bring up, oh, this went wrong here or this went wrong here. But like one basic strategy that you can use is before a match, a day before when you're traveling there is watch all your good clips, all those good stuff that you've been doing, because that's that's the performance you want to go out and embody. If we watch back our negative clips all the time we're not we're not re-ingraining a different a different pathway or a different kind of way of doing things we're just reflecting on oh okay I've done this badly 
obviously reflect on your weaknesses and work on them but don't always dwell on them then that at the end of the day like your strengths are your strengths go out and play how you want to play and yeah just watching your clips back really easy tip on the way to training day before maybe you feel a little bit anxious just sit and watch your best clips um really really easy thing that you can do um just a little bit of a confidence boost really um and something actually I used to always do when I was back in, back in my career days um is watch those watch those good clips as well as the bad ones yeah, yeah I know you've done that Tony in the I was going to say uh, any of my old teammates watch me I told you I wasn't vain I said there was a reason <laughs> behind it yeah. maybe a little bit of vanity there with me when I was watching it and there wasn't actually any game or training I was going to but um <laughs> no nah, I definitely can like relate to that and the idea of yeah just doing things that yeah will build your confidence and have one for me is I'm always especially if it's before like a game I'll watch the clips and also listen to sort of like up the uplifting music and like positive music as well um just yeah trying to get yourself in that positive mindset so yeah, really brilliant and great great again that we've got another guest that's sort of reaffirming some of the some of the uh, information that we're getting out there yeah, advocating the knowledge that we've been providing all season. Uh, another point I wanted to pick up on, just in the sort of first, um, the first knowledge bomb that you dropped was like faking it till you make it. Essentially, is what what's what we've been calling it like this season. Um, we speak about it as a lot. Um, we did stuff on body language, communication, confidence, these types of things. Like. You know, when I'm standing up in front of the room, like, do you think I'm really confident in the first three or four minutes? Like, absolutely not. But I'm going to come in here and I'm going to act like a confident person. We showed examples from, like, footballers in the tunnel. You've got the likes like Roy Keane and Vieira, where, you know, you're looking straight ahead. Your shoulders are back, heads up, hands behind the back, like power stance. Act like you're confident, because if you act like you're confident, then the guy that you're playing against is going to not what I play against you for lack of a better word so that's going to improve your performance so I like that just the small little things that you can do and it's great applicable tips that the players can just go and do tonight at your training session or or this weekend or, or whatever try it out you can go and do it easy enough so you're making psychology sound easy Lucy so that's amazing Um, I suppose moving on then you've spoken amazing detail about your time at West Ham and it's, it's so interesting. I think me and Tony could sit and talk to you for ages about it. You're probably going to wow us even more with your other role at Gillingham because as far as I understand it, that role as a psych is more with the older players. Is that right? Yeah, so my focus is um, the 18s team. I am I do cover everybody um, and we're kind of extending the programme out to like the 9s and 16s. Um, obviously, Gillingham is very different. Um, it's a category free academy so even just having a psychologist there is is brilliant for a cat free because even cat twos are struggling to have psychologists there or don't have them um, so yeah we're extending the project out kind of more to the nines and sixteens and looking and reflecting on the last year what those kind of like pressure points are and looking okay what can we proactively um put in place this year um to kind of help players and kind of not have those issues as much just because we pre-prepared people so for example our 16s um they get their uh pro scholar decisions at a certain time of the year um so before that we're kind of having a bit of a 
future planning session okay what happens what if this doesn't come off okay so where am I going to go where I'm going to end up but that kind of work is mainly with the player care officer so we we have a life skills program currently but that's kind of just being integrated in the psychological kind of side um and obviously that's getting bigger and bigger um but yeah I'm mostly day to day um I'm with the 18s um and looking after them different kind of work so more one-to-one support um with the 18s as everybody gets more specific in their needs of what they need from me uh, and what they need help with so slightly different from my role at West Ham in that I I do more one-to-ones with the players um, and yeah less work through the coaches and more one-to-one with the players. Yeah I've experienced that myself in the past It's, it's good to hear you know with the younger ones it can be more like sort of blanket approach and then sort of work off of that. So this is what the workshop's on. And then potentially if there's any one-on-ones, you know, it could be tying back to that. As, you know, athletes get a little bit older, older, the individual needs become, you know, more important. Um, So we've got an 18s team as well. So it'd be interesting to hear without obviously giving too much away about the types of things that what are the common needs um, from a psychology well-being perspective for the 18s kind of group? Um, yeah, so for the 18s, um, this year we're bringing in like more mental health screening. So um, me and the player care at Gillingham attended the mental health first aid course. Um, which I would highly recommend for anybody. Absolutely brilliant. And I think that kind of highlighted to us that kind of mental health problems are quite are quite common. Um, and actually, are we supporting our players to the best um, that we possibly could? So we're bringing out a bit more screen in this season um, just to make sure we're looking after our players a bit more. Um, but for most players, it is performance things just you're stepping up into an age category where everything is more physical. You might be a 16-year-old just coming in and you're playing 18s football. Um, It is a huge, huge step up. Um, Obviously, a little bit different pressure, like it's getting closer to the time where you could be... So we have players playing up into the first team. They'll go and train with the first team. They'll be picked out by the first team. Uh, So that pressure becomes a little bit more. So it's just going and playing your best self when you're also obviously stepping up into those kind of more physical games um but yeah mental health is probably um uh not loads of the work I do but something we're trying to prioritize a bit more um and then yeah performance side um just stepping up confidence wise um and then obviously we look a little bit at leadership skills so coming up those age groups there seems to be a tendency, I think, especially um, as boys grow up to maybe go a bit quiet or maybe not step up to lead and kind of be part of that team. And at 18s, there, there is no hiding anymore. There's no hiding within groups. So actually, who's going to step up and try and take the lead? When we have the first years come in, they have a period where the second years will be there. Um, but the second years then go out on loan. 
because they need that men's football experience. So the first years are suddenly 16 and 17 year olds that are having to step up and lead. So we talk a lot about kind of those leadership attributes, who's leading the team. We talked a lot about momentum. So how can we control momentum in the game? How can we control momentum over a season? So are we having a string of bad games? how we can pull ourselves out of that. But that is massively to do with leadership and people stepping up on the pitch and taking that kind of responsibility. Um, so, yeah, those are kind of two we look at mostly is like that confidence and leadership. But, yeah, we're trying to be a bit more supportive of those kind of like mental health problems. Um, and I think injured players was a big one that we suffered from last season. Not suffered. That is definitely the wrong words, but... We suffered from a lot with long-term injuries, um, which obviously is not great on an individual level or on a team level. But those individuals, maybe the the plans could have been better for them psychologically. And that's what we want to help a lot with this year is those that are going through long-term injuries. Obviously, you have a higher rate of hitting maybe low points in your mental health um and that's kind of where we really really want to support this year those kind of longer terms when you're out for a long time you're not playing we talked about identity earlier if you've just got a football identity that's absolutely huge and something that we massively are going to focus on this year um especially in the 18s um because those are the kind of big years you've got two years left um, to kind of secure that pro contract in the end. So, yeah, those are just some of the areas. Um, obviously, I can't go into too much specifics, but those are the kind of areas I think for 18s are definitely where I'm hitting on and working with the team quite a lot on. Amazing. And to pick up on those, I've got leadership and confidence that's, you know, using those as coping skills for the transition itself. So that's massive. Um, injury as well you know, dealing with injury, um, all stuff that we've experienced popping up left, right and centre. We notice actually when any of our players get injured that they'll be in contact with us more because obviously they're, they maybe have more time, but also they're struggling a little bit more. Not that they're messaging saying, like, oh, I'm struggling, blah, 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 but they are more active as if they would like some sort of support. So, yeah, that's a difficult one uh, for young players. And I like the idea of leadership and stepping up and, and you know, using that to be, you mentioned about them stepping up sort of to the first year. A lot of the second years leave. So it's almost like you need to take another step up. So the importance of that leadership then becomes even more uh, important. And of course, the confidence, it can, it can be difficult making that jump. As you mentioned, physically it's tough. You're probably getting a bit of imposter syndrome. Am I actually good enough to be going to this level? So really interesting that that's the stuff that you're working on. Tony, you get any other things that I might have missed there or anything else you'd like to add in? Yeah, you know what I'm like? I've always got something that I want to say. Um, the, the leadership stuff for me, it was it was great to hear that pop up because I do think it is that age period where it does start to show more. And I think coaches in particular tend to look for it. Um, it's a topic that I have a lot of interest in because I did my dissertation in it for my master's um but I'm quite interested to know when it comes to sort of like the you mentioned like the attributes and trying to like get them to develop those leadership attributes um so for me straight away I think about you know uh if I was to follow 
maybe identity leadership it's about the idea of you know embodying the team's values more and um, taking on board what they're doing and trying to be that um, you know trying to almost be that role model within the team um, and then you know when I think about other types of leadership you've got your transformational so spending time developing those in-team relationships with with your teammates and um, you know perhaps communicating with the coach a little bit better so that you can build up you know build up that relationship and um yeah these are all attributes that I think about and is that something that you also speak to your players about or, or you know what attributes is it that you look that you perhaps look to develop in them yeah I would say I agree it's massively on personality as well um we've got quite a few leaders in the team that I would say um lead through that kind of I set the standard of what we do here. If I have a high work rate, then every else in the team's kind of going to take that on as well. So we massively look at personality. We've got some quite outgoing players that are obviously quite loud. Um, we kind of talk about, okay, I, I'm loud, but am I being purposeful in what I'm saying? Um, am I am I just screaming at the team or am I organising the team? Am I supporting the team? Am I motivating the team? So I think it's that kind of purposeful leadership. Okay, what leader am I? Um, but also like what attributes am I showing? Um, and what are maybe my negative attributes that I'm showing? Because um, it's not always positive stuff. Like you can have somebody quite loud um but maybe yeah like you said they don't have those relationships in the team they don't have that understanding for other people so it is very specific on one-to-one like what kind of leader do you want to be um we kind of try and use examples so what's a footballer you can name that you want to kind of emulate as a person and as a leader on the team so that's a really useful and I, I would say not only in leadership but that's something that we use quite often okay who's an example in your position who maybe brings out all those attributes that you want to bring on the pitch okay what's your bit of their games what do they do how do they act that kind of thing like emulation is quite an easy way that we can start we can start changing behaviors and like a really 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 easy way um that players can start acting a bit more like we said about your confident self um that kind of thing but yeah leadership massively um i think it links a lot to that responsibility as well once you're at that stage um in that 18s team everything is your responsibility your nutrition what you're doing outside that kind of are you socializing with friends and drinking and not really looking after your body well everything's kind of down to you and those leadership attributes are not just on the pitch but we also say off the pitch as well okay so we all have maybe we have jobs okay and somebody cleans the boots somebody pumps up the balls um but is everyone doing them okay if I check that everybody's doing their jobs have I done my job and done it well so it's that kind of responsibility as well as leadership in kind of all those aspects not just on the pitch but off the pitch as well yeah brilliant it's really good again a lot of the stuff that we've, we've tried to reiterate I'd like the idea of yeah the off the pitch almost holding yourself accountable while also holding teammates accountable as well I think that's definitely uh, you know a pitfall that we can all fall into of being like oh you've not done this and it's like actually I've not done it either or like, oh, I didn't do it yesterday so really should I be speaking or, or should I perhaps you know um, sympathize with them give them the benefit of the doubt rather than just being that loud leader who's just shouting um, 
yeah, you know, another thing I want to touch upon because we've spoken about it before and um, is sort of injuries and, and as like another sort of, we call it a non-normative transition because obviously injuries are something you don't really plan for, but they can come at any time. Um, and we spoke with Bradley Steedman a couple of weeks back now, nearly a month back now around injuries. And he, he was mentioning again, identity and how that really helps. He found that really helped his players deal with long-term injuries in particular. And I'm just wondering if that's also something that you found to be really beneficial with your players that you mentioned have, have, have had long-term injuries. Yeah, I would say long-term injury wise, obviously identity is really important, but what I try and phrase the injury period as is that kind of what we're going to do, what we're going to get out this period and what we learn in along the way. Um, Cause I think we always, we always talk about that word resilient and in the moment when we're going through things, um, we often don't stop to reflect and think, actually, I've got through like a really, really hard period. Um, so for a lot of my players, I've made them kind of reflect on their periods as they're going through. Like, what have I learned from this situation? Like, how am I developing? How am I getting better? What am I doing? So even down to watching your clips, watching other people playing in your position, like keeping your mind ready, fresh, ready to go, rather than kind of slipping out into that isolation like sometimes it can feel really, really lonely. Um, so we try and make sure that our players are still coming in. They're still participating. We're still giving them roles um, within like their day to day, what they normally would. Because um, the first thing that really happens is you lose a schedule. You lose that kind of, OK, my identity is being a football player, getting up every morning. I go in and then suddenly when you're injured oh, I don't have to go in today, I only need to go in for rehab at one o'clock go and do my session and suddenly you become isolated and not on your normal schedule which is really really strange for players and something that we probably all struggle with a little bit when we get knocked off our schedule um but I think yeah like that kind of identity obviously it's hard I think it's really hard we say oh have an identity outside of football but when you're going to school and then you're coming home and you're you're playing football and then you're getting off and then you're going again it's quite hard to have other hobbies it's really really hard um if somebody asked me a couple of years ago what are your what are your hobbies it would have been canoeing and then not really much else because I, I didn't have time for much else because I'd go to university and I would go canoeing and it's really really hard um I think what I talk to players about now is how am I looking after myself as well like you don't need to have some random hobby you don't need to really like reading or whatever but how am I spending my time outside of those two things like re-energizing myself so like at the moment I really like just going for a walk and listening to a podcast or or maybe it's literally just listening to music when I'm driving in the car and having a having a little sing song um it's those kind of things that we look at in injury when you've got a long-term long-term injured player what what are you doing to put energy in because your injury is just going to be taking energy out um and if you imagine it like that you start to think, actually, I've been doing this and that really, really drains me. And by the time you get to the end of your injury, you're like, oh, that has been such a long period. But if you can think about it and keep re-energising yourself, 
think about your learnings as you're going along and what you're developing in for it but really think about okay I need to look after myself in this period obviously look after yourself all the time and think about that energy and energy in energy out but especially in that kind of injured period so so key um is that kind of yeah you don't need loads of other hobbies but yeah think about what's giving you energy back from that kind of injury process yeah great thank you for that um, really interesting and i think that's you know similar and then slightly different take as well as sort of what we've been trying to get across so that was great and really good to hear again I think the similarities I was hearing were, you know, using it as a chance to reframe and reevaluate and what else is important to me during this time. What other skills can I pick up that I wouldn't have been able to pick up when, you know, I was playing football? Like, can I improve on the mental side of my game now? Can I maybe employ a bit of imagery or can I work on my goals? Can I set goals for the route back? So, yeah, definitely a, a great time to sort of reevaluate and, and pick up new skills if you can frame it that way. I think we've got some amazing insight from you, Lucy. Um, I think the, the one last question that we like to to ask our guests, and you have given a lot of different answers to this question, is if you had some tips for academy footballs, what sort of advice would you be giving them? I, overall, not just the well-being in general. In general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, more like well-being, the psychology side of it. I mean, don't go tell them to start working on the left foot or whatever <laughs> it's going to be. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely, definitely can't help with that at all. I think we said it the whole way through, but speak to people. Like, it doesn't have to be a sports psychologist. It doesn't have to be a well-being coach. But actually, everybody's there to support you. So we have an amazing player care at Gillingham who literally will talk to you about absolutely anything, whether you need your car insured or like something's happened at home. So I think reaching out is the one thing. It's becoming less and less stigmatised now to actually be like, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not 100 um, percent from that mental health first aid course. We're all on this continuum like mental health isn't oh, you're either bad mental health or good mental health. Like we're all floating somewhere in the middle. And like we've said, we've, ha we've had experiences ourselves where we've been through periods of burnout. We're not feeling our best, but actually just recognising like, OK, I'm not feeling 100 percent. I'm just going to speak to somebody and everybody there, especially in academies, is there to support you and wants the best for you. So just not being scared to go and approach people I think is is absolutely massive um obviously sports psych wise um there are loads of little things you can do obviously your podcast has been great at highlighting just little strategies and I think there's this kind of stigma between like oh psychology is just talking about your feelings or your emotions and stuff like that but actually most of the time we're talking about oh performance like how can we get better at this um, and there's always like loads and loads of little things that you can do that is going to massively boost your performance and hopefully it becomes a more normalized thing to to have in an academy but for now like if you're interested in it just go online and talk, type in sports psychology football and about 100 different things will come up um what pro footballers do when they when they go pre-game or maybe the night before stuff like that 
like that those little things are going to massively massively help you um and yeah my last tip would be enjoy the process um if you think about how many football academies there are over the country and how many people get the privilege of being in them like it is such an amazing environment with like the coaches you have your physios your sports scientists you have so many people around you that are going to help you get to your best just use everything you can while you're there and just enjoy the process as you're going through um I think we can we can look back and reflect on it afterwards and be like oh that was a great time that I had but enjoy it while you're there because to be honest you never know when when you might not be there um and then you really will appreciate what you had there um but yeah just enjoy the process and yeah use the people around you completely amazing um loved every bit of it be curious talk to people uh tony any closing remarks from you mate you're just loving that there i could i could see it in your face yeah um i just want to like i mean first of all like i've also done sort of the mental health first aid training um i did it at university and it was yeah it's so great i love the idea that or i love this new notion that people are going to try and get across that mental health is on a spectrum you know it's not like you're not either you have mental health or you've got bad mental health like some days you might be a bit lower than other days like it doesn't mean you have some serious mental disorder it just means that actually you're just struggling that day and that is why you should really you know yeah approach people and talk to them so that was brilliant um and yeah there's just so much of what you spoke about today that i you know not only agree with but also you know resonates with me on on a you know as an athlete as well or someone who has been an athlete so yeah just brilliant thank you very much for for coming on I, th- I think just to wrap up lastly just the my main takeaway is is the variety of work that our sports site can do in football I mean you've spoken about so many different things and I'm sure you're going to absolutely fly through the sea part with the amount of different stuff that you're doing so for me it was just so interesting to hear from you Hear the different work that you've been doing, both at the younger age group and the age and the older age group at different clubs. And I loved every bit of advice that you gave to our players. And I hope some of the stuff that we suggest is is half as good as what you've given us. So thanks very much. So I say everything's been brilliant. It's been a pleasure having you on. And we'll we'll get you on again in the future. <laughs> yeah, definitely. yeah, I'm sure we I'm sure we could do a part two. I've um yeah got enough to say, but it's been really nice chatting with you guys. And um yeah, I'm glad glad you finally got a girl on the podcast for you. But I hope it's been helpful to um all those players listening. Um and yeah, and if if you want any help, you know where I'm at. <laughs> yeah, yeah, brilliant. brilliant. And um just as well, like is is there a platform that people can find you on and quite often our guests have like their own platforms and that or perhaps um linkedin if you're open to it of course we don't want to force you to um, have messages from people just in case um yeah please feel free to let us know or, or air on here yeah no definitely literally i love talking to people i think brad will brad will voucher this but i'm so open to talking to anybody so yeah linkedin's probably the best place to find me um but yeah if you just put my my username in i literally i will answer any question and probably bore you with a a amount i could talk about it but yeah like feel free to get in contact um any questions just fire my way cool well Thanks for listening, everyone. If you made it to this stage, I appreciate it. Last thing to do is obviously give us five stars if you haven't. 
turn the notifications on to be notified of our new episodes that are coming on every Monday. We're pretty sure that you'll have thoroughly enjoyed this one and we look forward to you giving us feedback on the next one. Thanks very much, guys. Cheers, Brad.